Cases of COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 have fallen precipitously in recent weeks in Melbourne, which is great, and deaths remain extremely, extremely low. All good things. But we have had some big failures, especially in the hotel quarantine fiasco. This week, we've had the Cote Inquiry investigating this very hotel quarantine scenario, and Council Assisting Rachel Elliott has come out and said in the closing statements that the 768 deaths and in fact the entire second wave of coronavirus in, in Victoria is as a result of the fiasco at hotel quarantine. Now we've seen obviously uh, Dan Andrews has said that uh, he didn't wasn't aware the ADF was on was on offer. In fact, he used private security guards because he didn't he didn't have another reason. Well, look, we we see now that that's not the case. Uh, he did acknowledge ADF help was offered by the prime minister, and and why this is relevant is because there's something called the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and and Ken Phillips has come out and written a letter to the WorkSafe Authority under this act and triggered a section uh, that requires them to uh, investigate. Uh, the complaint or provide reasons why they won't investigate. So in his letter, he's named Dan Andrews, he's named uh, some ministers, he's named some bureaucrats, and he's requested this investigation. And we will hear from WorkSafe who have massive powers to investigate workplace issues like this. Uh, and if they don't investigate, they need to provide their reasons. And then Ken can further request that this is referred to the DPP for criminal prosecution. So keep in mind, this is a, this is a criminal matter in the sense that Ken is arguing that the government has a responsibility, a duty of care to provide a safe work environment and has, has abrogated that, has broken that in the way that they contracted out uh, this security service, uh, rather than using the ADF that was was on offer, or in fact Victoria Police. So I sat down to have a chat with Ken to find out exactly what exactly why did he write this letter and what are the ramifications of this uh, once it gets into the WorkSafe system or into the into the legal system. So I hope you enjoy this chat about it and, and it sheds a bit of light around the the hotel quarantine fiasco. And I think we're going to have some answers finally uh, by the latest, according to the OHNS Act. Uh, the end of December. It's good to have you here. You've uh, blown up a little bit in the news lately because of this letter. And so we wanted to have a chat with you to discuss all things hotel quarantine. So why don't we start at the beginning? We know that there was a uh, hotel quarantine set up uh, by the Andrews government. And basically just to fill in people what that is, that was for returning travelers, right? Yep. So returning travelers go there uh, they stay there for isolation 14 days and then they have security guards or Vic Pol or ADF. This is what the argument's about. Uh, they ended up having just security guards. Uh, and then we've seen a number of, of failures from that. So what exactly is the problem that you're seeing here in, in a nutshell with what's happened at that health quarantine failure? All right, so we know that return travellers from overseas have a very high probability of being COVID positive. Mm. Therefore, they have a very high probability of being uh, transmitters. So those facts were completely clear. And we even knew when the federal government repatriated people from Wuhan, that they put them into Christmas Island. Mm. There's a very strict quarantine process there. So there's very clear knowledge very early in the piece of precisely what was being dealt with. And uh, so therefore, you knew that there were people who were coming in COVID positive. You knew that there would be transmissions. So therefore, you knew that the risk was exceedingly high and you had to make sure that the quarantine worked. 
Yeah, now no, this is so this is important just for the listeners that you're setting up you're setting us up to understand that this was foreseeable because we're about to start to talk about negligence and and you know occupational health and safety and so on. Um, but what you're saying is it is it was completely predictable and clear the risks that were there and therefore what certain uh, steps should have been taken to mitigate those risks. Well, absolutely. You know, there was the incident of the Ruby Princess in, in New South Wales. There was the incident with the cruise ship in uh, Perth. Mm. Uh, there was worldwide knowledge of how quickly this was spreading. Everyone might have been in a you know, process of shock as to what was going on. And this is, you know, goodness gracious, this, this is something that we haven't seen before move exactly like this. But this is core administrative function that should occur in the Department of Health. This is not something odd or new. Uh, there are reporting systems for communicable diseases they're already well and truly in place. AIDS, any sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, you go through the list. So anyone in the community that has any of these diseases um, and the doctors find out it's compulsory reporting. There was tracing systems, et cetera, et cetera. So all of these systems should have been in place. There was nothing odd or unusual. The scale of it, was odd and unusual, but the systems should have been there. So the risk was very high, well highly known. And to say that you weren't that they weren't aware of the risk, well, these are the professional health people who are paid extremely large sums of money to predict, understand, and and work towards ensuring that these risks are minimised. That's their responsibility. So you take that as the starting point and you would have to say, this should not have gone wrong. Well, before we go into what went wrong, Ken, are you aware of the pandemic response plan that the Victorian government did have? This has been reported by Sanjeev Sablok, the uh, economist who resigned from Department of Treasury and Finance in protest. He's put out now uh, this plan that we just had ready to go and then we scrapped it. Uh, as soon as the second wave hit and we adopted more of a Wuhan style approach to lockdowns in the original plan, there was social distancing, there was masks, there was limits on gatherings. There was nothing to do with lockdowns, curfews and distance limits. So we did have a pandemic response plan. Good. Shame it wasn't followed from, the, from what we can gather. Well, you the know? reason why I raise that is because we, we had also an unusual situation in the hotel quarantine where we now know that the prime minister offered federal support a number of times, both his office and him personally, and pushed the use of ADF. But instead, we've now gone and given the contract to a private security firm. What are they called? Unified Security. Who have well, then there were three or four, I think, two or three. There was Wilson Unified. There might have been another one floating around there. I forget. Yeah. Yep, there are a few. I think Unify got the bulk of the contracts, the age said. But anyway, we've given it to private security firms and uh, we have reports now of people wandering in and out of those hotels. Uh, we have security guards doing some nefarious things with the, the people in isolation and spreading the virus. Uh, so we have had a failure at lev that level. That's not disputable. Um, but in particular, that has led to this inquiry. So the COVID-19 
hotel quarantine inquiry was set up by the government back in July. And I assume you've been watching that inquiry this week. I think along, well, I think it's been rating rather well, hasn't it? Me, myself along, <laughs> plenty of other people. Well, why don't you tell us what you got out of that inquiry? What did we learn this week? Well, look, I, I'm not a health expert. Mm. Um, I'm a small business person. I'm not a lawyer. I'm an accountant. None of those things. I've just run small businesses. Mm. Right? And I suppose along like most of the population, uh, it's the proverbial pub test. Mm. Does, it, does it pass the test of common sense? Uh, where we've then acted and I've got to say on very careful legal advice, mm. is under the provisions of the Occupational Health and Safety Act. So let me confine my discussions to that. Uh, let me also confine to the fact that I make no accusations about anything that anyone has done that is wrong or could be wrong. That, that's for the courts to sort out. Mm. There is absolutely sufficient evidence from the Kate inquiry and on the admissions of the people who gave the evidence of the Cape Inquiry, that there was a monumental failure. That's well and truly accepted. So under the Occupational Health and Safety Act of 2004, and I, I do know a reasonable amount about all of this because I was doing a lot of advocacy work around the Act in 2002, 2003, 2004, and where our interest is, and my interest is, is what's the application of these laws for self-employed people? How, does the, how do these laws impact on us and what are our responsibilities of self-employed people, whether you're a plumber or a, a virtual assistant or whatever it is that you might be, mm. what are the responsibilities and the Act needs to apply to that? So I've got some background knowledge the, and, and some understanding. So the principal issue that we're confronted with here. Under the Occupation Health and Safety Act, the management of a business, of a company, of an organisation, has a responsibility under the Act to supply safe systems of work. If they do not supply safe systems of work, they are potentially in contravention of the Act, and that will depend on the facts of the, of the case. So what we're looking at here is the, and in the evidence in the Cape Inquiry, the government and the representatives from the departments and the heads of departments and so forth have all said, we were responsible. They the, have, yeah. they've, they've, that's absolutely, they've said that. Yeah. They were responsible for managing the, the quarantine. It is their responsibility. So it's quite normal in government and quite proper in government to uh, uh, contract out services, but the contracting out of services doesn't remove you from the responsibility. Mm. So when you contract out a service, and I don't care whether it's a government department or you or me or um, a building that gets cleaners in, right? it doesn't matter who it is. We have to provide a safe system of work and we have to have systems in place to provide safe systems of work. So you, the government is simply not in a position to say, we gave this responsibility to someone else. That's, that's not something that is valid under the Act. And it should not be valid under the Act. You can't remove your responsibility. 
we all drive cars and uh, we get our cars serviced. So if we get our cars serviced and the service person turns around and does something faulty with the brakes and we have a crash as a result of that, uh, it's the responsibility will fall back on that, on that person who serviced the car. And so it should. So these are terribly important principles. And you're applying these practices. And you're applying this to the government's role in subcontracting these services. You're saying they had a duty of care to who? To Victoria? No question. Absolutely no question. They, they cannot contract out their responsibilities. It's just not, it just, it's, it's, it's against the principles of work safety. It's against the, the act itself. And it's against common sense. So we've seen, so, sorry, go on. So all the evidence that has come through is that they got the private security companies mm. in. Uh, there, there was not sufficient oversight of the operations of those security companies to uh, prevent the outbreak of COVID. The second wave, yes. They, they rejected the use of police uh, and, and the ADF who could have overseen what the private security companies were doing and supported the, uh, the individual security people who were, who were charged with doing this on the ground. Mm. And so you, you, you put that all together and there is sufficient evidence to say that the government has failed to provide a safe system of work. And on that basis, we have written to the work cover authority, the WorkSafe, who's responsible for prosecutions to say, we ask you to undertake prosecution. Now That's this all is, we've done. Yep. We haven't, we don't go any further because it's for the courts to decide whether or not uh, people are guilty under the act or not. That's for the courts. Well, people should understand that uh, this particular law is a bit different in the way it's applied in the sense that the Occupational Health and Safety Act uh, only allows uh, proceedings to be brought against uh, someone by either the authority or an inspector. So effectively, you know, you can't sue the government over this act, but the authority can. And so there are provisions in this act, section 130, which lay out how you can make a complaint to the to WorkSafe and ask them to, uh, to investigate in this case, the Andrews government over its responsibility with hotel quarantine. But interestingly, the why this is so big is you've said to me earlier that they have specific uh, obligations in terms of timeframes, when they need to investigate, getting back to you, referrals to the DPP. Can you run us through the ramifications of that and how they respond to your letter? So uh, under uh, the section of the act which we've triggered, the WorkSafe authority uh, must, if they have not undertaken a prosecution within six months of an incident, we, anyone in the public, can lodge this request with the authority. So that six month trigger started on the 27th of March or in or around that, there was some debate over 28th, 29th, whatever it might be. 
What's the trigger for uh, that, Ken? What, what happened on the 27, 28? Well, we, we, we saw they were, they were the days in which there were decisions being made as to what they would do with the, with the quarantine, mm. who would run it, et cetera, et cetera, what systems in place. And from recollection, there were triggers there around the dates in which the first lot of people were arriving at the airport. So that, that's my recollection of that. So I'm, I'm subject to a lot of legal advice on this. Understood. So once again, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I, I take advice from the lawyers who are assisting us. So the date of the 27th was principally the, the trigger. Yes. So then on top of that, uh, what, and, and so therefore we sent the letter on the 29th of September, which is so six, six months, months afterwards. Yep. Uh, we also, as a, as a result of the Kate inquiry, there had been a tremendous amount of evidence put on the table and admissions put on the table that reinforced that action should be taken, that a prosecution should proceed. The authority then has three months, so the 29th of December, to either undertake the prosecutions and start the prosecutions, or they are required under the Act to write to us to tell us why they are not doing this. If they write to us to say that they are not undertaking the prosecutions, then we are able to write to the public prosecutor, DPP, mm. asking them to undertake the prosecutions. Mm. So that's, that's all we're able to do, but that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's significant, Ken, what you are doing. So if we, if we sum it up, basically uh, you've, that they have not investigated this matter for six months. So that now you are under the act allowed to write to them, which you have in this letter, which people can read at, uh, at your website, selfemployedaustralia.com.au. Uh, and in this letter, you have basically requested in writing that WorkSafe uh, prosecute uh, the Dan Andrews uh, government. Let, let's, let's be clear. They're on the public record that they are undertaking, the WorkSafe authorities on the public record that they are undertaking some uh, investigations. The, the trigger here under the Act is whether or not they've undertaken prosecutions. Right. So that's what you're requesting, and you've named yes. you've named who you would like them to prosecute. Yes. Who, who are they? <laughs> I've I've been advised by our lawyers, and we list the names in, in our letter. Okay. But uh, that is those names are not public, and I've sure. been advised that they are not to be public. But it's yeah. quite serious. It's comprehensive. Okay. So if we, if we just war game the two options here, as the act says, the, um, they, they need to make a decision whether they'll work safe needs to make a decision whether they'll prosecute or not and have the three months. So they have until new year's Eve, roughly. Uh, if they decide to bring prosecution, how likely is it that they would do that? And what is the outcome of that? Just in a general sense, what could happen there? Well, of course, that will be for the WorkSafe Authority, and I'm, I'm, I, I don't have the qualifications, and I wouldn't dare suggest that I know whether they would or not. Mm -hmm. um, but the scenarios are, are such that, you know, this is very, very big. Uh, 765 deaths as of a few days ago. Uh, and so we're, we're looking at without doubt, the largest, potentially, the largest OHS prosecution in the history of Australia. 
the number of people involved, the number of organisations involved, um, and so on and so forth. And this would be, one would imagine, a very, very long, drawn-out court process. Mm. It would go on for a very, very considerable period of time, given past experience. Uh, one must remember that the WorkSafe Authority have vastly stronger uh, investigative powers than the Cote Inquiry. Yep. They seem, from what I understand, I'm told they have stronger investigative powers than the police. Um, there is literally nothing that they can't look at. Uh, so they are the they are the, the the authority that should be undertaking the investigation. So it would be very 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 detailed, and then we'll see what we would all watch and observe and see the evidence and hope that the truth truth is revealed. Okay, so just to back up your point, uh, it's not just your opinion that uh, this is the biggest OHS case in history. We have. In Australia, we have uh, council assisting the code. So the code inquiry, everyone, is the uh, COVID nineteen hotel quarantine inquiry. It's named after the chair. Chair, I think she's called someone. Coat. Um, she, she's the she's the board. So they refer to it as the the board of the inquiry. And from what I can gather, she is the board. I think that's the way it's the wording. Okay. Of it so the Cote Inquiry, the Hotel Quarantine Inquiry, uh, the council assisting Rachel Elliott said in her final submissions on the twenty eighth that. Um, all 768 deaths in the entire second wave of COVID in Victoria uh, is attributable to hotel quarantine failures. So that's, um, that's not disputed, but, but let me ask you, Ken, what actually, if they then prosecute, what, what are we talking about for the lame people, lay people out there listening? Once that prosecution goes through, if it, if it succeeds, how does that change the, the, OHS landscape, which you have a lot of experience in, what does that mean? And if it fails, what does that mean? Well, the, the first thing, it, it, all of these things is a matter of going to the truth and have there mm. been breaches under the Act. Mm. And if the prosecutions proceed, that's exactly what should occur. It reinforces the fact that the Act is being applied as it should be applied. If a private firm with, with a factory had a factory blow up, somewhere in, in, in Victoria, and we've seen instances of that sort of thing in the past, mm. and there were substantial deaths, well, prosecutions would occur very, very quickly. There'd be no question about prosecutions occurring of a private, of a private business. And what we're really fighting for here is a proper application of the law, no matter who you are. I think that's the point. So if you or I drive a car and we're drunk, and we have an, a crash and we cause the death of someone, we will be up on manslaughter charges. And it doesn't matter if you or I, if it's you or I, or we're, we're a pauper or we're, we're the richest person in the country. Or the uh, premier. Or the, the premier, whoever it is, we're all responsible. And that's the provision in the act. So in other words, the process to prosecute really does what, what it's supposed to do. This is what's supposed to occur in our society. Uh, no fear or favour, apply the law as it stands and apply the law to whoever you are. And the principles, that, the, the principles that apply under the Act is that everyone is held responsible for what they reasonably and practically control. So what has to flow out in the evidence is here is uh, public servant X. 
they did this, 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 and this, or they failed to do this, 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 and this. Uh, was that person in control of the situation or a particular part of the situation? Mm. What should they have reasonably and practically have done in the situation? Did they do it or did they fail? If they did what they should have reasonably and practically done or did, um, well, they're not in breach of the act. No, it's, it's very sensible stuff. Very sensible stuff. So, Ken, is, is this act in Victoria particularly onerous or is it similar in other states? Well, I actually consider the Victorian Act, which was brought in in 2004 under the Brack's Labor government, uh, I, I consider it possibly the best Occupational Health and Safety Act in, this, in the country. And I consider it potentially one of the best in the world. In terms of protecting are, employees or what? Well, it, no, it protects everyone. Right. And, and it makes everyone responsible. So it's just not an employee who is held that, that it's there to protect, but it's there to protect everyone. So if you're at a shopping centre and you're walking through the shopping centre and there's a renovation occurring in one of the shops and a, the roof caves in and injures you or kills you, mm. the people who were at that work site controlling that work site are responsible and so they should be. So here's the same situation here. There's a particular worksite being the, the uh, hotels. There's an outbreak that, sh that arguably should not have, have occurred. Uh, if, the, if proper, if it, I'll rephrase that. If there had been safe work systems in place and an outbreak occurred, well, then there's under the Act, conceptually there's no responsibility yes. because you did what you were supposed to do and and things happen in life mm. you know things happen that you don't want to have happen accidents occur you know you, you have a pandemic right? the question is have you done everything within the work system that you should have done that's the issue right and so if uh, a court were to find against the government, what type of, what, what, what would happen? What, what are we talking about? Fines? I, I mean, you well, these, these are, these are criminal prosecutions and not civil prosecutions. Uh, so uh, there are a whole range of, of um, things under the act that can be mm. applied mm. on most occasions. There are uh, fines. So we have seen recently, with Dreamworld, with the yes. incident at Dreamworld, I think yes. it was three and a half million yep. or something yep. against the company. Um, but you must remember these, these are criminal prosecutions. Mm. And so it is a criminal uh, prosecution that, and, and, a and a conviction. And if you're convicted under that, well, I've got to say, try and get into the United States with a criminal but prosecution. More importantly, we're talking about a sitting government so if they are found criminally liable in this instance, we're talking about a very explosive story, which is why I started off saying this is explosive. Mm. Well, one, one would hope that this would generate a series of procedures and reviews and so forth of some level of urgency in mm. the government to say, we've got to lift our game. You know, we were, we, we were, we, this must, must never happen again, mm. ever. 
So this weekend, we've seen the government in the code inquiry, everyone saying, I don't know, I don't recall, I don't know, over who wanted to use security guards and cause these, this whole mess that we're in. Now, if, 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 they, if that becomes a defence, you know, it, let's go the other way. If, if the courts or the WorkSafe authority find for the government and it's okay what they've done, it's your understanding that that is going to send our whole system round the bend. Uh, I, let's let's look at it two ways. If a prosecution doesn't occur, mm. which which is just from the pub test and the common sense test, inconceivable. Yeah, inconceivable. But if a prosecution doesn't occur. That is the collapse of the work safety system in Victoria. That's the, a big statement you just made, Ken. The, the, the act becomes a joke. Because from there, here on in, anyone who uh, is involved in a work incident can simply turn around and go, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know. Which is what the government's been doing. And that's not a defence under the, under, the, under the Act. Once again, I'm not a lawyer and I'm applying the pub test and, a, and an ordinary person's understanding with, with some background knowledge, mm. ordinary understanding. So it's just inconceivable to me that the prosecutions can't occur, but the WorkSafe Authority might write back and say this and that and here and this and that and so forth. And, and if it goes to the DPP and, 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 and they go, well, this and that and so on and so forth, well, those reasons will be on the public domain and, and um, uh, they might have really good reasons. Mm. I might be completely wrong. And, 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 but that would be for all of us to look at and apply our common sense, <laughs> our common sense pub test well, to the reply. You, you're, you're humble and careful in that you're framing yourself that way. But to be clear, there are, you have some very good lawyers who are assisting you uh, to put this through. This is not you and me having a go. This is a legitimate legal claim. Yes. But I've got to stick within the framework of the Act. Mm. Um, again, it's not for me to predict outcomes. It's not for me to suggest uh, what, how, what a court would decide. It's not for me to suggest what evidence might be there. So look, there might be, you know, I, my understanding is that there was a whole lot of additional information dumped on the table of the Kate inquiry at the end, uh, yeah. at the end, after all the, everything's been done. Maybe yeah. there's a whole lot of information there that we don't know about that might change the perspective on it. But given what we currently know uh, and the information that we have, this is just not looking good. Well, Ken, why are you the only one to speak up? You and your organisation, um, you've you've sparked, you've lighted, the, you've lit the spark. Where is everybody else? I have no idea. Well, maybe we should tell people who you, who you are. I, I should have told them you're the executive director for Self Employed Australia, which is, to my understanding, basically a, I hesitate to say a union for self-employed people, but basically self-employed people don't have an advocate to kind of draw them all together. I've been self-employed my whole life and except for a brief stint at some corporates. Uh, and so that's what you do, isn't it? You provide a unified advocate 
for self-employed businesses? Yeah, well, look, we're a very small organisation. Any of anyone who's involved in small business, being self-employed, and so forth, you're so busy trying to earn an income and <laughs> do mm. your job, you don't have don't have time to get involved in advocacy on the big picture stuff. Uh, we've we've come together. We're a, we're just a small organisation, all volunteers. We drag together enough money to try and run our, our website. Um, you, you know, I'll, I'll try and get myself up to Canberra every now and again to knock on the mm. doors of parliamentarians and I don't get paid, but hopefully, hopefully my exp- we, we drag in enough money to cover my expenses. Mm. And so we advocate on public policy issues in terms of how they impact on the self-employed people. And it's, it's quite understandable. People don't join the dots between what we do and how it impacts on them. Mm. But uh, we campaigned for seven years to get the unfair contract laws for small businesses in place. And we've, you know, I've got to say, when we first took it on, um, there was just no chance of us getting anywhere. But seven years later, the laws are in place and they're, they're now going through a process of being reviewed and beefed up. They need to be because a lot of the big end of town, a lot, not all, but a lot of the big end of town, large number of the big end of town have ignored the laws. Um, we've been... Uh, uh, very active in the support and pushing for the uh, pay on time laws that are coming through. And um, along with a large number of of other organisations, and we certainly see this as one of the top agenda items for small businesses, um, getting the money in on time is the biggest issue confronting everyone who's in business. Mm. And uh, so we've, we're, continuing to campaign on that. We've been involved in tax campaigning for a long, long time. Uh, And the current uh, campaign that we're running uh, is that we're looking for major reform, legislative reform to the operations of the tax office. That's all. (laughs) We've just just decided to take on the tax office. But these things uh, are important because if someone finds themselves uh, in strife with the ATO, they need to be treated properly by the ATO, and we believe they're not. And the evidence is that they're not, and we, we actually assist people with this sort of thing. So, uh, and, and, and look, we've just plugged away at this for 20 years. And you, it was, I, it's good to, I didn't know you existed, but it's good to know that there's someone standing up for small businesses like a union would for employees. But to also tell people a little bit more info, you know both sides of the fence. Well, I, I was a union official for wow. for eight years. Uh, I, I, I was a, originally a primary school teacher, and my apologies to everyone <laughs> out there. Um, but at one stage, uh, I worked as a field officer for one of the very small teacher unions. Mm. And I travelled in Victoria, and I travelled around Victoria and, and um, visited just about every school in the state and got to know the situation very well and, and so forth. So... I've got to say, if I was still a school teacher, I'd still be a, a union member. Uh, um, if I was working in the public service, I would absolutely definitely be a union member because government organisations are, are big machines that have no humanity in them. And if you step out of line, they will seek to crush you and you need unions. Uh, it's a different situation in the private sector, uh, particularly in small business, because the if you're employed by a small business or working for a small business, invariably you're working with someone who's exactly like you. 
Mm. They've got the house on the line and, and you know, so the relationships are there. It's not a big machine. Uh, uh, and companies these days, larger businesses, try to stop being like public service services. Um, but you find with large companies anyway, sometimes the, the mindless bureaucracy of large companies is much, much worse than the public service. Much, much worse. I've been there. Yeah, I've been Ah, there. But uh, (laughs) given your experience then in both uh, business, self-employed and unions, is there something going on with the unions here? Because I've heard people telling me about this, uh, these contracts were given out to mates for the security. Do you have any information around that? Well, look, I I have a very firm view as to why the security companies were used. And I've, published that view and it's quite simple Uh, it's well known in in my experience in victoria in the business community that if you want to have a contract that is to do with this government Mm. or anywhere near it you have to have quote cozy relationships with a union now that cozy relationships means having a union agreement having people who are members of the union. So money flows to the union, uh, money goes into the union required superannuation funds, redundancy funds, you name it, the stream of funds, all perfectly legal. Uh, but then, but then the union unions or trades or council and people in and around it then become the primary decision makers mm. as to who gets the jobs? And in the hotel quarantine situation, there has been some very substantial evidence put on the table uh, in the inquiry, and we've extracted that evidence and, and put it on our website of email exchanges where, where there were public servants who were saying quite clearly, we are using this particular security firm because we're we're required to by trades, and that's trades or council. I can I can see that those emails you've put it on selfemployedaustralia.com.au. Mm. So those emails are there, and 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 my view is that all of this we don't know. I think I'll, I'll give you the answer, people. There's unions, unions, and trades or council making the decisions here. This would explain a lot in terms of Dan's decision-making process, which seems a little bit, a little bit quite illogical. That makes well, it. it. It's the only answer, potential answer sitting on the table that makes any sense. Mm. There is no other alternative answer that, that, that is what the answer that we're getting is we don't know. Someone, I'm, I'm, it's just not credible that that someone somewhere doesn't know. They must know. It, the, stage, you, the stage you would say, of course they know. And the coat, the coat, the the inquiry hasn't chased this rabbit. Well, okay. So, well, I mean, the coat inquiry was set up by Dan Andrews. I'm not sure how how neutral it was, but do you um, have, is there any weight to the, the talk about the ministers uh, and, and, Brett, and Brett Sutton and so on denying any memory simply because they're afraid of uh, 
the laws that were passed last year in Victoria to do with oh, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't speculate on people's motivations. Mm. I, I, I will I will look at the facts that we've got in front of us as best we can and people's motivations are for them and that would again they're the sorts of things that a court would investigate. Can you educate me on those laws though? I'm only new to Victoria and I'm more up to New South up to our New South Wales laws. But what are these new laws that came in last year with high fines and jail time? New laws were introduced at the end of last year, mm. industrial manslaughter laws. Right. Um, they are pretty robust. And uh, those laws didn't come into effect until the 1st of July. Uh, from a public policy perspective, this is uh, one of the issues that's sitting out there post 1st of July. This year, yeah. Yes. So those laws are pretty heavy, the jail fines and, you know, jail and the whole shebang. Okay. I, I think we've covered, I think we've covered uh, what's going on, why you wrote the letter. Uh, is there anything that I've missed out you wanted to talk about? Well, I, I, I suppose I've been asked a, a number of times, well, why are we doing this? Hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a, a pretty straightforward we can't live in a society where we have laws that are applied differently we have to have a society in which the laws stand for all of us we are all responsible for our actions and to have government excluded from the law that they create for the rest of us is just to descend into into communist China. Mm. You know, I'm not interested in it. Sorry, uh, this is the, the motivation is very simple and very straightforward. We want to see a consistent application of laws. We're all in this. If we're all in this together, we are all responsible for our actions. We are mm. all responsible for what we do, and that's what we want to see applied. Okay, well, Ken, I have to thank you for taking up the fight because I tell the people who follow me all the time that laws are in uh, of themselves inert. They're just words on a page. It's all about people picking them up and wielding them as a weapon or a defense. So thank you so much for having the courage to do it, you and your, your members and your organization. Uh, and before we, we finish off, I think if you could tell us how people can support what uh, self-employed Australia are doing. And if we need to be self-employed business owners to support you or, or can we actually just help you? Because I think there's a lot of people who want to get behind some kind of action to, to bring back the rule of law in this state. Well, we've got a, a website. Uh, we're, we're very open about all the campaigns that we've run and what we do and so on and so forth. And we, we, we put out a news little sort of news alert. I call them my sprays uh, sort of once a week or a little bit more at the moment. There's a bit more coming out. Um, you can jump on our website. Uh, we exist entirely on our membership funds where we don't get any money from government and it's all self-employed people who are involved and uh, we have a committee. It's all volunteer. And, and so, Love to have your membership. Um, it's, uh, you can join at several levels at $22 a month. We have a, a higher level at, at $44 a month. The information's there. And if you just want to be a campaign member, you can give us $5 um, and become a campaign uh, member. So we, we, 
we're looking to just keep doing what we're doing. And, and, and uh, this particular exercise with the, with the COVID issue, it's, we're having to prepare for the fact, a high probability that we're going to have to go to court. And Expensive. that we're going, yeah. to, we're going to have to push this in court. And so we're certainly looking to try and make sure that we put as much money in the piggy bank as possible to be able to do the job that we want to follow through with. And to be clear, so can anyone can donate. You don't have to be a business owner. Anyone who wants to help this fight can sign up. Absolutely. We, 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 we um, and, and, you know, my, my phone number's there and my email address is there. And if someone wants to do uh, more than, than just membership sort of stuff, Matt came to talk. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right, thank you, Ken. Look, everyone, go to uh, selfemployedaustralia.com.au and if you want to bring the fight to the craziness that's happening in Victoria, this is a very practical way that you can do it for a very small amount of money. And I've uh, been speaking to Ken a little bit now and uh, I can tell you that they, you know, the fact that they all do it on a volunteer basis uh, and also the fact that they have uh, a very good legal team around them helping them take this all the way if required. That legal team is, is mostly doing a lot of this for free, pro bono, right, Ken? I, I'm, a lot of people criticise the legal profession for just being money, money grabbers and mm. <laughs> fair amount that are. But I'll tell you what, every now and again, you come across lawyers who, who really do believe in our society and really do believe in the rule of law and so forth. And they're, they're interested in fighting it through. And it's just fantastic when you come across lawyers of that sort of calibre and quality. Awesome. Yeah. So the point here, people, is that the money that we donate to these guys will go far. It's not going to sink into some lawyer's uh, BMW. Uh, this is real <laughs> on grassroots campaign. We're going to get this fight all the way through. Ken, thank you so much for joining us and explaining it for 45 minutes, exactly what's been going oh, on. Uh, much appreciate the opportunity and, uh, and, and love what you're doing and, and um, appreciate the opportunity very much. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Ken. Bit of a different podcast today, all about the hotel quarantine inquiry and what's going to be unfolding in the Victorian government over the next number of months with this WorkSafe investigation. I hope you enjoyed this information. I will be returning back to normal interviews shortly, but if you would like to support Self-Employed Australia in their fight against the Dan Andrews government on this matter with prosecutions, you can support them financially over at their website, selfemployedaustralia.com.au.